Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Daniel, uh, uh, chapter 7, and you'll find that on page uh, 890 in your uh, pew Bibles. And I'll read, read two sections of two verses, uh, 9 through uh, 10 and 13 through 14. As I looked, the thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And now at verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there was before me... Uh, was one, there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached before the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Ruth Funderburk, who was scheduled to read the New Testament lesson, is home sick with a cold. She thought it better not to come to church and uh, infect other people. So I'm subbing. Our New Testament lesson is Revelation 1, verses 1 through 6. You can find that on page 1236 of your pew Bibles. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, 
and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sherman Street. Uh, For over a year now, we have been working our way through the Bible, um, and we have made it to Revelation, the last book and a formidable one. Um, We're going to spend two Sundays here this week, and next week Tony will preach to you um, from Revelation as well, and then it will be Advent, and we will be on to new things in a new Christian year. though not really new things, like still the Bible, (laughs) still Jesus. Um, If I have like really good news for you though, if you have been throughout the year faithfully completing your readings and have got your sticker sheet, um, if you were not here when all that happened, you can still get one, but you only have a week to read before (laughs) you can bring your sticker chart into the office and get a prize. Uh, (laughs) Is that right? Do we have prizes yet, or do they need to wait till next week? Next week. Let's just come next week. Um, but that's exciting, right? We are not above sticker charts and prizes. Uh, Jesus says, be like the little children. Uh, anyway, Revelation. Um, this week, someone told me that they hated Revelation. Another person told me that it almost made them lose their faith, and another person had recently read it and was so perplexed by it, she could hardly talk. Um, that's all right. If that is you, you are not alone. Um, Revelation freaks people out. And partly because it is very strange in and of itself, and partly because people have made some very strange things of it. Um, G.K. Chesterton said, though the author of Revelation saw many strange monsters in his visions, he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. Um, people have used Revelation to predict that every president and every pope is the Antichrist. They have come up with specific days and ways that the end would come. So far, 100% of those predictions have passed by rather quietly. Um, In my early years as a Christian, I joined the fray too. I remember seeing an advertisement in a Time magazine that had um, some pictures of children in it with barcodes on their heads, and I was like, it's the mark of the beast. Um, and someone else recently told me that masks were the mark of the beast. Um, they're not, you're all all right. Uh, I found a USA Today article um, explaining why the vaccine was not the mark of the beast. That's a common opinion nowadays. Uh, that is also not the case. Uh, you're also all right on that one. Um, like, it's not surprising that people would want to avoid this book, right? Um, If that is you, I commend to you another book uh, by Eugene Peterson called Reversed Thunder. Uh, It is about Revelation, and it is very good and very helpful, and I only have 20 minutes, and he has an entire book, so uh, I'm going to say almost nothing, and you can get at least a little more from him. Uh, Reversed Thunder by Eugene Peterson. Um, And always... uh, There's the Bible Project videos, which I would encourage you to watch and read as you watch. Um, 
they're super helpful on Revelation as well. The trouble with the book is not actually the book itself so much, but what people have, but the ways that people have tried to read it. Um, and the problem, that problem, comes out of the way that we have tried to read the Bible as a whole. And I've talked a lot about that, and I'm going to talk about it more, uh, because we just need to get it out of our minds. Um, you hear people talk about reading the Bible literally, and sometimes what they mean by that uh, is like the Bible is clear, take it at its face value, no interpretation necessary, whatever it says, it says. Um, and that seems like it's being respectful because it kind of, it makes us feel like we're taking the Bible seriously. Um, but the problem with that is that we have all sorts of different ways of using language. And in different times and different cultures, language meant all sorts of different things then too. So, so many people go wrong in reading scripture because we think religion is serious, God is serious, the Bible must be serious in exactly the ways that I understand seriousness. Um, for us, in our culture, serious means science, it means textbooks, it means news, it means history, it means direct teaching, and it definitely has to be practical. You have to be able to apply it to now for it to mean anything. And so we've applied this version of seriousness to every book of the Bible, and we've come out with some strange things. Then we hit Revelation, and it goes a even more nuts because we can't, like, you can't ignore the fact that Revelation is not a textbook, right? You just, like, we get there, and we're like, woof, this is a real different thing. Um, but because we have refused to apply the rules to the rest of scripture that we apply every time we d distinguish a poem from a newspaper article, from an email, um, from a biography, we apply rules to say, what kind of writing is this? I'll read it that way. But because we refuse to apply those to scripture, we then get to Revelation and we have no idea what to do. And so we go off the rails. And still, we're still kind of applying the same rules, like the seriousness rules, because we're just trying to extract information from it, right? All those predictor people are just trying to say, like, what is it going to tell me about now, about my president? <laughs> it, seriously, every president, um, <laughs> which is also a little, like, centered on the United States. Anyway. <laughs> um, it does not honor scriptures to treat them like something other than they are. To rip them out of their context, to not read them in the way that they were written, it is not honoring to scripture. It does not honor God when we distort the word that God has given us in the way that God has given it to us. So we need to be careful with the books of the Bible and respect the fact that they are often particular kinds of, they're always particular kinds of literature from particular times in particular places. That is always how God has revealed God's self. Always. In particular times and places. Through real people. In real life. I mean, do you think that the God who created the whole universe, 
with icicles and dragonfly wings and ears and elbows and those gooey, like, transparent fish that live in the bottom of the ocean? Like, do you think a God who created that world and delights in that kind of variety would be happy or even able to reveal God's self to us in the form of a textbook? Would God not need more than that? Would the God who used language to create every being that we know of in this world and those that we don't, who spoke them into being, do you think that God would settle for flat expository prose? Or would God not also use and maybe need poetry and prophecy and song and story and drama and parable? And so we have all those and more. Just like our God, our text is living. It's relational in and of itself. We don't so much stand over it with a microscope and dissect it as we do get into it and under it, move around in it and let it work on us. Even when our God wanted to teach us in a more direct way, the Spirit did not settle for general statements to general people but chose letters. And so we have so many personal letters in the, in the New Testament. So personal, so specific, and so human. It seems that our God loves the things of creation and wants to get right down in them, which is exactly what we will celebrate at Christmas. Because all these varied and rich kinds of writing were still not enough for God to show God's own self to us. But the full revelation of God is not written word at all, but the warm human voice of the word made flesh, the image of the invisible God, the person of Jesus. Let's let even the way that God communicated God's self through metaphor and rhyme and cadence and imagery and story Let's let even that teach us something about who our God is. A lover of difference and beauty, delighting in language and turn of phrase, delighting in us. And so I present to you Revelation. It is all at once a letter, a vision, a prophecy, and an apocalypse. Um, And it's important that we talk about this because we don't really have writing like this in our time and space. So let's go through those four genres. The easy ones first. Um, Revelation is a letter. The marks of the letter are easy to see. Um, In verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And then there's a blessing. Those are typical marks of a letter in the ancient Near East, and you see them through Paul's letters, and um, it's a letter. The author of Revelation, John, is a pastor. He's writing to his congregations who are going through persecution, and John shares with them, in that difficulty, he has been exiled for his faith onto the island of Patmos, and that's where he wrote the letter from. The ideas in Revelation are not general ideas. They are specific to a specific people at a specific time. Like if you were going through a hard time and I wrote you a letter. It would be filled with with mentions of our context and our shared history, the particularities of our life together. 
The purpose of this book, as strange as it is, is that John wants to comfort John's congregants. It's all about those people at that time, and through that and their experience, it also speaks to us. Feels like a little bit more like this daunting text kind of comes down to earth, right? It's like a pastor writing a letter to his congregants. It's a letter, it is also a prophecy. Um, It says right near the end of the book in chapter 22, verse 18, uh, that it is a prophecy, and we know the Old Testament prophets well enough, so I'm not gonna dwell there. Um, Though I will say, prophecies, again, (laughs) prophecies are not so much about prediction as they are about um, just transmitting a word from God to a people about the time that they are in. And sometimes that includes prediction because it matters to those people. Uh, But not always. Revelation has some prediction. Uh, But that's not the main point of it, except that the prediction bears down, bears, like has bearing for the people um, John is speaking to. Okay, it's a letter, a prophecy. It's a vision. Uh, This is probably a little far from most of your comfort zones. Um, In chapter one, verse 10, it says, on the Lord's day I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And then John proceeds to see lampstands and thrones and Christ himself. John is hearing from God. This is a book, a letter, born out of prayer. And Revelation is also an apocalypse. (laughs) Or more correctly, apocalypsis. Or loopsis, I don't know. Anyway, it means, <laughs> it means revelation, as in something, so that's where we get the title of the book. Um, revelation, as in something being revealed. That's what an apocalypse is, it's an uncovering. It reveals the truth beyond what we see. So apocalypsis, this kind of writing, it does that revealing through imagery and illusion to things that the that the readers would have been very familiar with. Like we say, uh, what are four score and however many years ago. <laughs> I'm so good at this. Uh, that's not written down, clearly. But you already know what I'm talking about, right? Even if I get it wrong. It's an illusion that we are familiar with, and there are lots from uh, John's time that we're not familiar with, and so it takes a little learning. It's, this isn't like this apocalypse is not the kind of writing that we have anymore, and reading it requires different things from us. So it requires imagination. It requires all of our senses and our emotions. It requires that you kind of get into it, that you let it get into you. And actually, Revelation requires that we also let the rest of scriptures get into, get into us as well, because without knowing the Old Testament, you will not know Revelation. Um, Eugene Peterson says several times, Revelation doesn't tell us anything new. Everything that's been mentioned previously in the scriptures is all that Revelation says. It just says it in a new way. There are 404 verses in Revelation and 518 references to scripture, to to the Old Testament. To understand Revelation, you have got to understand the rest of the Bible. On top of that, there are also references, like I said, to the reader's culture, to their political situation. It's like a lot of work to read this book, right? Um, And that, you know, Revelation is a tough read, and that also explains why we have so many bad readings of it. 
Eugene Peterson um, very helpfully suggests that the best way to read Revelation is as a poem. He says, if you don't read it that way, you're just totally lost. Because poems have a very similar task to apocalypsis. They don't give you new information so much, but they uncover the things that you already know. Right? They give you new insight and meaning into stuff you've already been through. They like dig down and expose things to the light. And they do it through images and metaphor and illusions and careful language. Those of you who love poetry know the reward of a good poem. And those rewards usually require some effort, right? Often multiple readings, sometimes some context. Sometimes you have to live with a poem for some time before it will bear fruit for you. But then there is such pleasure in the language, in the images, in the truth that it presents, which is more than new information. Somehow it goes deeper almost like you can't articulate it. And that is the invitation of Revelation. Most of it will not bear good fruit for you without good effort. But we need to allow the scriptures to live. Not just on the page as vibrant language, but also in our hearts and our minds, and that's what Revelation will do. We need to let them live in our hearts and minds that they might also then live in our hands and feet. And when you do that work, what Revelation will give you, first of all, is a picture of Jesus. God may choose to reveal God's self through fire and through angels and through the words of poems or stories, but Revelation will focus on the truest revelation we have, the person of Jesus. The first words of the book explain what it is, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that of already opens us up to this kind of like unfolding that will happen through revelation. Like what happens when you work with images is you don't get one meaning, you get manifold meanings, right? That all kind of pack into one word. And already we're there. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, of can mean um, from or about. And in this case it means both. Christ is at the center of this book. But the description of Christ will be full to the brim of, image, of images of the Old Testament. It begins at the end of chapter one. We see the one who speaks revelation to John so that he might write it down. He's the son of man from Daniel, who, which is a promise, that in and of itself is a promise of victory and redemption, which many people took as a military victory, right? Um, it, is a, it is a powerful, the Son of Man is a powerful and majestic figure, which confused everyone when Jesus kept referring to himself as the Son of Man. The Son of Man from Daniel, who promised victory and redemption in the clothing of a priest, like Aaron, with a voice like rushing water, maybe like the river of life, or like the Red Sea opening so that we can walk through it, or like the waters of baptism. With eyes like fire, like a burning bush, the pillar of fire, the refiner's fire, or the fire in the temple that never went out. And a face like sh shining like the sun, like Moses' face when it shone when he came down from meeting with God, like the blessing in Numbers when we pray for God's favor. This 
you see how it just kind of unfolds into a hundred meanings, but all of them with impact and all of them grounded in scripture. But what we get in this first picture is a picture of victory and triumph. So much so that when John sees Christ, he falls down as if he were dead. And Jesus says, do not be afraid, calling to mind the over a hundred times that those words have rung through scripture. Do not be afraid. And we let all these images flow over us and seep into us. And if we know the images, this picture will be so much richer than words. So much richer than a, you know, a clear photograph even. In chapter 4, the images of triumph continue. We get this image of an incredible throne room. And again, there's just it's like the whole thing feels like power. There is one main throne with 24 other thrones around it, and there are beasts who are covered in eyes and wings that surround the, <laughs> that surround the throne. And like all of these things have connections and allusions to the Old Testament that I don't have time to explain. But I, what I want you to hear is the majesty of it all, how awe-inspiring it is, maybe even scary. Everyone is singing and worshiping. There's even like a rainbow around the throne. This like is a place of a fantasy novel. Around the throne there are seven lampstands which represent the church. And so if you think back to the Old Testament of where you found lampstands, it was the temple, right? And what was the job of the lampstands in the temple but to shine light on those things that were holy? And they were shaped like trees that they might remind us of the tree of life. And so here we find in this one image, our job, shedding light on the holy, acting as a reminder of what we were made for. John says in the midst of this throne and the rainbow and the beasts, that he looks finally to the throne And he hears that the Lion of Judah, who has triumphed, is on the throne, image after image of power and authority. But when he finally looks to see who sits on it, he sees a lamb. And not even just a sheep, but one who has been slain. And all of our thoughts of victory collide with thoughts of weakness and sacrifice. And we are brought back again to who we know Jesus to be. The one whose reign over this world was not established through the the ways of this world. But through the mercy of the cross. Jesus loved his enemies all the way to victory. And so we read the book of Revelation. A church not mentioned explicitly there but a lampstand, ourselves nonetheless. A sign of life and light to all, given the job of shedding the light on the holy. The priest, with fire in his eyes, the ruler of all the kings, the lamb who looks as though he's been slain. We are called to shed light on the holy. Which is the center of Revelation and the center of our lives. It is Christ, the truest picture, the truest revelation we have of God. Please pray with me. 
Lord, uh, may you fill us with both your majesty and your sacrifice that we might see you clearly. Help us to uh, see you most of all in your word. To not so much look for ourselves as to look for you. And may we honor you in the way we shine light on you. In Jesus' name, amen.